0: In this podcast, we share the first part of our conversation with Dr. Suzanne Brown, a clinical psychologist and expert in the areas of identity and attachment theory. Susie outlines a number of strategies as to how we can better understand our players through an empathetic approach, sharing some ideas as to how coaches can utilize an understanding of psychology to improve the environment for their players. For the full discussion, head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com and check out the Masterclass discussion section. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Player Development Project Masterclass discussion. Delighted to be joined by clinical psychologist, Dr. Susie Brown. Susie, how are you? I'm
1: good, thank you. How are you, Dave?
0: I'm very well. Excited about this conversation into psychology and a few other areas that we're going to cover. But, To give our sort of viewers and our members a bit of insight into your background, can you sort of just explain a little bit about what you do, what your expertise is, and then how that fits more recently into sport?
1: Yeah, so um, I am a clinical psychologist, as you mentioned, Um, I guess traditionally that's probably thought of as working with mental health difficulties, so working across the age range, whether that's from children all the way through to adults and older adults. Um, working predominantly with things like mental health distress and um, psychological distress, really working to improve well-being. Um, So that's sort of been my background and I've been working in that field for about the past 11 years now. Um, And in terms of more recently getting involved in sport, um, that really came about as a result of uh, Michael Dodds over at Birmingham City Football Club Mm -hmm. um, pulling together quite an innovative um, and for me, I think quite a collaborative way of working in the field. So he actually arranged a kind of TED Talk day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I attended that and um, where the likes of people like Russell Earnshaw, Nick Levitt, Keith Davids all presented at. Um, and then that was about a year ago now. So since then, I've been working with the RFU a little bit and BCFC, um, both at an organizational level and an individual player level.
0: Fantastic. It sounds like a very interesting, um, I guess, transition or somewhat a new challenge uh, based on yeah. your experience. I mean, from a personal perspective, how exciting has that been? And, and how have you found the, the sort of crossover between obviously, I mean, you're working with people across the board, but to apply it in a sporting yeah. setting, is it a big difference?
1: I guess, like you say, people are people. So there's definitely um, that consistency throughout that. Um, I think what I found really interesting is thinking about it in terms of the multiple levels. So at an organisational level and then seeing a lot of parallel processes between what happens as a player, but also as a coach, what you're doing. So. For me, for instance, you know football can become your world um, mm. as a player, and I think as a coach you 're all involved and invested in this because you 're incredibly passionate. But again, it can become your world, right? So it's trying to work alongside both staff and um, children really, you know, or adolescents or adults um, really thinking, you know, around the same processes really. I I wouldn't say it's necessarily so different, um, but I would say there are particular nuances that I found within sport, Mm. um, particularly things like identity that we've talked about Mm. um, that really... I suppose are um, magnified for me in terms of thinking about the impact of things like identity within sport.
0: Certainly very interesting and it's an area we've sort of touched on through our lead researcher Jimmy Vaughan and he's done some stuff around self-determination theory and, and shared his own experiences as a young academy player when his world kind of, kind of came crashing down. So to, no doubt we'll go into that a little bit, but to mm-hmm. to go back to your experience, you've worked around the idea of specialising in uh, trauma, identity and attachment. So can you give us an insight into, and a bit of a better understanding as to how these ideas uh, work based on your experience and then how they apply potentially for coaches?
1: Yeah, so um, this is an area I've been interested in really from the start. So it really guides everything I do based on the fact that as people, we are really driven by our attachment system. Mm -hmm. So just to give a brief description because people may not have heard that term before, um, attachment really describes how a child attaches to an adult. Often Mm -hmm. it's your parents um, but it really can be anybody who raises you and this really sets the building blocks and foundations for your later relationships. So how you then interact with others is really driven as a result of your attachment system. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you think about it, the brain is always um, Responding to new experiences, new relationships. It's um, really driven by not just your own sense of personality and self, but what happens to you? We exist in relation to others. Yeah, we're not just an isolated person. Um, So if you think about it from a very young age. We're almost being given this blueprint on how to um, interact with others. Mm. And so, as a result of that, when trauma happens, that can really change your trajectory. So, you begin to learn about yourself, you begin to learn about others and how safe the world is. Mm. So, with good experiences, you learn that you yourself are safe and lovable you learn that others are trusted and can be drawn upon when you need them and you learn that the world is a safe place even if there are trauma or tragedy or um, events where you need to overcome difficulty you're able to do that because you're able to draw upon your own coping strategies and you're able to reach out and ask for help when you need it. Sure. Now unfortunately that's not the case for many children so they do experience a lot of trauma where Unfortunately, maybe the adult around them isn't always consistent, isn't always available. So what people do because we're adaptive creatures and it's always driven by you know the fact that we are adaptive creatures is we learn our, our, like, many different ways to get our needs met. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you might find that actually it makes more sense and it's safer for a child to really focus in on a task. So actually the adults not that safe, I can't mm. actually approach the adult in this situation. So I'm really going to focus in and And, you know, when we think about this in sport, I'll really focus in on the tasks that I'm being asked to do, but I'm not going to approach the coach. That's too dangerous for me similarly it might be that actually because the adult isn't always available i need to stick close to this adult yeah so in in the event of a coach i need to stick close to them i need to make sure that they're going to be there mm. because i'll need my needs to be met and i'm not quite sure if they're going to be paying attention to me or one of the other 10 children that they're coaching right now mm. so you might have children that really need your support really can't get on with the task because they're so focused on trying to maintain the relationship with you so yeah. um sorry go on no I was
0: just going to say absolutely fascinating while you're talking I'm thinking of different players you know I'm thinking of of players who I can relate to who are perhaps from my coaching perspective harder to break down or understand or build that relationship with but might be exceptional at doing what they do on the pitch and then those others who seem to be there to please and want to be you know in your ear or seem to be helping all the time and I think it's a really interesting and almost not, not a stark warning, but it, it sort of outlines the responsibility that coaches have and the influence that coaches have as role models and, and important people in, in child's development and in their lives, you know, so it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, so it's huge because the thing is, we, you know, back in the 60s, people thought that you only had one attachment figure. And then obviously, as we've learned a lot more about the processes, we know that we can have many attachment figures throughout our life. So coaches are, you know, a huge influence in terms of not just offering an an attachment figure but when children are going through trauma maybe their home life isn't great Mm. actually is a buffer to mental health problems the fact that actually a coach can provide a good role model it really gives them an opportunity to then take in and digest the fact that other adults in their environment can be safe and secure Mm. so actually you know you've got such a huge important role in these children's lives um, but it, it will you know definitely impact on their ability to um, get on with the task at hand for them to be able to seek support from you. So I always say to the coaches that I'm working with ideally obviously you know you're working with children within a context of a, a safe and secure environment they have a you know secure attachment. Generally speaking though unfortunately we know that that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. So ideally in attachment you have it's almost like a whole circle. So you've got somebody that can really come um, to you for support when needed, so can approach the coach because your relationship is safe enough. And once people feel safe enough, they will go off and explore. That's that's what we're designed to do. We're social creatures. We're supposed to go and explore our environment, especially if you translate that to being on the pitch. You know, you, you want to go off and explore. You want to go and take you know great shots. You want to be able to put all these skills into practice. Um, but actually, if you're not able to do both, so if you don't have the whole circle, mm. then actually you, you're not thriving. At, at, at best, you're trying to survive, but sure. you're not thriving. You're not seeing the best of the children that, you know, those kids that don't come to you to ask for help. And just like the kids that can't detach away from you, you're not seeing the best of their abilities.
0: Mm, really interesting. And I guess for those working in academy environments, that can be at times a bit more prevalent than perhaps grassroots. But when, when talking about those uh, attachments and the, I guess, the importance in the relationship with the coach, what advice would you pass on to coaches as to how they can start building meaningful connections, whether that's with a new group or perhaps players that they're having challenges building those relationships uh, with?
1: So it's initially treating every child as an individual, which I mean, sounds very basic and straightforward. But the reality is, you know, you're competing with lots of demands. You've got a lot to do within any one session um, and trying to hold in mind lots of different children as individuals can be really difficult. But understanding that every um, behaviour that you're seeing is a communication because we are adaptive Um, As creatures, what you are seeing is a communication of something. Now, often it's driven by anxiety. So these behaviours that you're seeing, whether it's completely to exclude um, the coach or to, to stick closely to the coach, it's being driven by an anxiety. So it's really about knowing how to regulate that anxiety with the child so co-regulation and once you're able to do that you're modeling that you're providing this scaffold to children a framework that they can then begin to use that themselves when you're not there. Um, So I think for me it's it's really engaging their peers so remembering that particularly if you're working with adolescents at this point in their life actually the healthy thing for them to be doing is really engaging with their peers and moving away from adults because again evolution says that's what we're designed to do we're designed to go out and you know really rebel against adults <laughs> and find our own our own way of living so it's using peers so for instance if you know the children that won't particularly approach you as a coach what you can help to do is within earshot of those help other children nearby right um because hopefully they'll be they'll be able to take in those those chunks of information and digest that um for the children that are really stuck close to you and actually can't shake them off mm. um, because they you know they need your attention it's really about understanding that well we all need attention you know i often hear is really attention seeking it, that's just not the case we're all attention needing so, yeah, we all right. need it. um, so it's really about thinking how can i help to um, encourage this um, detachment but in manageable chunks because we know it's going to evoke anxiety so this might be about getting the balance between giving them more responsibility. So, you know, selecting the team that they want, you know, picking them as a captain, but also remembering that they are a child. So you don't want them to become the mini adult. You don't, you know, you need to maintain an adult position here, um, but really encouraging them to be able to cope with you know, increasing chunks of time away from you and actually really embedding them within the the team.
0: Mm, Really, really interesting. I think um, it also, from a PDP perspective, excuse me, it's interesting to hear you refer to them as not being mini adults, which I think is great. We've got to remember, you know, I've spoken to a few people recently who constantly use the word children, which I think is refreshing in sport and obviously much more relevant to you as opposed to athletes, players, and so on. Um, And secondly, from a PDP perspective, it kind of ties into that model of – ecological dynamics and, and appreciating people as complex adaptive systems. So I think a lot of what you're speaking about from a psychological perspective ties into some of the research that we've shared before. In terms of this uh, model of attachment theory uh, and insecure attachment and ambivalence, which you've presented on to coaches as far as I understand, can you, can you take us through this model and what that actually means?
1: Yeah, so... I guess drawing upon what I've just said. So the secure attachment is the complete circle mm-hmm. um, An insecure avoidant attachment is the children that will avoid at all costs the, the coach relationship. So they'll really focus on what it is that they need to do um, even to the detriment of themselves. So let's say for instance you know that you could be helping them in some way that you could be um, really excelling what they're doing currently and they're not really fe- reaching their full potential. These are the children that at all costs will not approach you know whether that's because of um you know not just driven by anxiety but expectations around shame um, Mm -hmm. and how difficult that can be to really ask for help and what that that says about them and also the judgments then that may follow from that um that's the that's the type of child that you'll I would you know think about as an insecure avoidant attachment. So they're going to avoid the relationship and they're going to focus elsewhere. Now these are the children that try to be incredibly self-reliant but ultimately really do need the assistance. So one thing I, I often remind um you know coaches about is you know the chronological age of the child is not the same as their social and emotional age so you could be working with children that and particularly I'm saying children but I mean adolescents and adults that are in their 20s and actually their social and emotional age are of a six-year-old right because they've not been given that scaffolding they've not been given that emotional literacy or that regulation throughout their experiences of early life so actually they've not developed it's a skill really so you know you need to be able to develop this as skills. Now, the great thing about our brain is that it's incredibly plastic. Um, So for instance, we go through two major growth periods. So one being when we're first born up until around the age of five. Um, So lots of learning is laid down and embedded. But again, from adolescence, so particularly for men at around the age of 12, all the way up until 25, you're having major brain changes. Um, and then again, up until you're 30. And then our brain stays plastic, right? So we would never learn new things if it didn't. Um, actually, the fact that you've got um, a huge amount of growth potential during adolescence, you know, I speak to a lot of people and they say, well, you know, by the time they've come to me, they're 18 years old, so this is who they are, they're fixed. That, that's just not true. They're sure. still developing huge, important parts of their brain. So the um, to go back, um, so the insecure ambivalent is, is the descriptor I gave of the child that is um, unsure of your ability and your availability. So they will stick close to you, um, add a cost to them learning and exploring um, and, you know, again, really embedding themselves with their peers. So these are the children, I guess, that you might describe as the class clown or... Right. Um, Yeah. So both children, though, I guess what you might find is that um, they're not able to express their emotions that they're experiencing. They haven't got the language potentially um, to do that. So what you might find is all of a sudden out of nowhere, you'll have a complete blowout and then the lid will be put back on very quickly. And you'll think, where the hell did that just come (laughs) from? Right. That was over nothing Um, because you've asked them to do something and they've just flipped out. Mm. Actually, what's happening is it's a build up of this anxiety and then you're seeing the surface. It's almost like that iceberg. You're seeing the top of it, but it's driven by a lot that's underneath.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.